So we have been what most people would say in the doctrinal portions of uh, Romans, uh, the, the heavier kind of doctrinal portion of Romans, the first 11 chapters. Uh, and in, in there, for some of you, you might say, man, some of that, especially at the end, was really heavy or it, 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 it took, I had to struggle through some of that. Even uh, someone said to me this morning, even Peter said that Paul's writings are difficult, you know, but it, it's, um, but it, it, there are things that are going on there that are difficult. At the same time, they're so wonderful and so amazing that you think this salvation that God has planned and that he has brought about and that he is working out with the Jew and the Gentile is absolutely astonishing and it should move us. And that's what you saw in the end of chapter 11 Paul just bursts forth with praise and he says, oh, the depths and the riches and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are these things? And he just overwhelmed. He concludes that. We said a good, robust theology, a right view of God produces uh, doxology. It produces praise to God. You want to praise him. You are exploding with praise. And if that's not happening, you have not... uh, uh, I guess you could say you're not drinking deeply from the wonders of God's salvation and his work on behalf of humanity. It is absolutely shocking. And so then you might say after that enormous worship and praise, you come to this place where you say, okay, so how do I live that out? How do I live a life of worship? It's really what you're going to do. And you're going to see in 12 through 16 these applications or this practical working that out. How do I live in a way now that would be pleasing to the Lord uh, in light of what he's done for me? And then how does that function or work out within the context of a people? Uh, God's people uh, that, that come together. How do we corporately uh, uh, work out this, this glorious gospel and, and living and serving and loving uh, in treasuring one another and building up the body? How can we help one another more fully uh, give their lives in service uh, and worship to the Lord? So Paul's going to show us many uh, different, I guess you could say, uh, expressions of what it means to live this life of worship out. That's how he's going to lay that out. So every Christian today uh, should know that they can give themselves to God and to the church uh, so that we might fully express our gratitude to Him. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. How can I most fully express my heart of gratitude towards the Lord? And uh, how can I do that uh, or even like help build the saints up in that regard. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and I would just say, you could say simply, give yourself to God. In light of what He's given to you, give yourself to God. Let's read that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of the wrath of God. Is that what He says? In light of hell, in light of eternal separation, is that what He says? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Paul's primary doctrine, you might say, most would argue in the first 11 chapters, emphasized justification. What is that? It is that our good standing with God has come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What He accomplished, we are trusting in. And it gives us good standing. God's mercies are on display through what Christ accomplished by His life, death, burial, and resurrection. So, What he's saying is, therefore, in light of everything I've told you, by the mercies of God, uh, there's a, in a way, he's saying, this is the only sufficient motivation for a life of worship. By the mercies of God, in gratitude for the mercy that you have received. All the way along, all throughout this study, it has been. This is an undeserved thing. No one deserves their place with God in view of the mercy that God has poured out upon you. In light of that, present your bodies. Paul has made very clear that you do not lose your place in God's love because He is the author of that. He is bringing that about. He has shown us love even when we were still sinners. That's what it says. What it's saying is, while we were still sinners, this text uh, in Romans, we've seen Christ died for us when we were the most unacceptable. Christ died for us. If we were the most unacceptable there, now, even if we maybe moved a little bit towards Him, we have to understand that the whole message here is God has extended His mercy to the unacceptable peoples of the earth, Jew and Gentile, and He has brought them into His family. So our highest motivation and the real true motivation, the only Sufficient motivation is worship, or of worship is gratitude for the mercy that God has shown us in Christ. If you're one of those people that live in fear, and that is what you try to put as your primary motivation is fear, you will be drained. There's a place where it has this kind of numbing effect. You kind of get to this place where uh, there's no, uh, th- there's just not enough fear. So maybe you need somebody to make you more afraid, frighten you more. But rea- the reality is Paul does not go to fear when he's speaking to the church. He goes to the acceptance, the mercy of God shown. That is Paul's emphasis here. Uh, if you are outside of Christ, there should be a fear. But if you are in Christ, you are reflecting on the mercies of God on display for you uh, in the cross. So he says, in view of God's mercy, do two things. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This, of course, takes you to temple imagery and you're thinking about a sacrifice being made. Uh, Not necessarily for a sin offering, Jesus, as we'll see in Hebrews and in many other places, he is the final sacrifice. But rather, uh, he—I mean—he's saying it almost reminds you of what they would call like a whole burnt offering, where you're offering yourself, uh, and they would offer animals, and the whole thing would be consumed. 
you're offering yourself in gratitude for what God has already done for you. Offer yourself up. In light of what has already taken place in Christ, now you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. Really giving fully to the Lord. Let me ask you something though. Do you ever fear that if you offered yourself up fully to God, that it would um, might not turn out well for you? If you offered your whole life to Him, the reality is, is that's just a misunderstanding of the mercies of God already on display. And that's something we all struggle with, where you understand, like, if God has given you this priceless gift of His Son, can you not trust that He will care for you if you offer your whole self to Him? Um, for the first century reader, um, many of them would think of the body as something that was bad and the spirit as something good. And so the way that they made themselves uh, better would be to renew maybe their, their minds or work in that regard, but not with their bodies. But he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a way of saying your whole person. Christian holiness is the whole person experience. Now, when it says living sacrifice, he's not saying go be, go like take your life for the Lord. Go, go commit suicide for the Lord. That's not what he's saying. It's a living sacrifice. It is a giving of oneself over. Uh, Jesus spoke of that, I think this is what we would say in the Gospels, where he would say, deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow him. For some, they would certainly die, but there is an attitude of taking up the cross that should permeate every Christian's life, where they're offering their whole person to God. The Gospel reorients, I guess you could say, our aim in all of life. When we're thinking about the big picture, what's the ultimate goal? It is to fully devote yourself to the one who has given you the priceless treasure, the most wonderful thing that you could ever imagine. The Gospel motivates and frees us to live lives that please God. It's such an important thing to see the spirit empowers us for that we've already learned in uh, this book to be pleasing to him and so we are offering up our lives in gratitude again it is and i think i used i didn't think this was that important i read about it a few years ago and and, and they saw gratitude as one of the greatest kind of christian virtues you know just never, I mean, I, I didn't think about it that much. Even when I thought about Thanksgiving, I thought every year we have happy Thanksgiving or what, you know. And I'm thinking like, well, how is gratitude that big a deal? It, it, it's, it is here, he says, that is the, the motivation behind, that is the chief motivation for you living the Christian life is gratitude. When you think about the mercies of God, that, that is what moves you. Paul has built this whole case in the first 11 chapters where he said, you are under the wrath of God, all of you. You have no hope. And then he gets to chapter 3 and says, but there's 
One who came and died and gave his life for you so that you could be right with God. And in Romans 5, 1, he says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sorry, that's in chapter 8. But in chapter 5, when you're looking at that, he's laying that out where he says, listen, you've been justified by faith. You're at peace with God. It's these Things after thing after thing where you're saying like he is overwhelming you with the mercy of God shown to you. And with a heart of gratitude, you're saying, I want to serve him. There's such a big difference between that and someone, let's say you fear your boss or you fear your parents or you fear some authority over you. And in reality, you only shape up when they're around. God is not calling you to that kind of situation. To where if you can hide out from him, you're going to act like this. But if you thought he was kind of close to you, then you would act another way. He is saying, no, hold on just a second. I want you to be so overwhelmed by the mercy of uh, the mercy of God. That you would live in this way. Paul's whole point throughout this book is that God has shown mercy to those who did not deserve his mercy. So. Verse two. We are to be transformed, not conforming. So in light of the mercy of God, offer yourself, offer your whole being, your whole person as a living sacrifice, that is habitually, continually offering yourself to the Lord. And then he kind of shows us what it means to, to do that. There are two patterns on display, the pattern of the world and the pattern of God. And so he says, notice what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What, is it, what does it look like to be transformed? Do not be conformed, but be transformed. You know, when you think about that, there's an inner transformation that takes place. I think to be conformed is just to be kind of pressed into the, a mold. To be transformed is to be changed. I think that's really important for us to see. You are not. Some people would say, this is what it means to be a bad kid. This is what it means to be a good kid. I'm going to make you a good kid. And it's all about externals. Some people's life as a Christian is. I don't want to do bad. I want to do good. But I really don't want to do good. I do do good. God is not just after you doing what is right in a way that makes sure that outwardly everybody's like, oh, look how good they're doing. That's called a Pharisee. Read the Sermon on the Mount. God is not after that. God wants you changed from the inside. When God says to us in Matthew five forty eight, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect... He is saying, be complete, be whole, be, long to do what you do like God does. 
God never acts outside of what He desires to do. He acts in perfection. His heart and His actions are completely aligned. Paul's saying Christianity is not something where we're just saying outward conformity, outward conformity, outward conformity, but rather internal transformation that transforms what you do on the outside. I mean, that's very, very important for us to understand. How in the world does someone become or grow in, 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 in this kind of transforming work? How are you going to do that? Paul says, one, again, and just keep going back to that. You've got to keep that in your mind. Get a grand view of the mercies of God. Have that capture your imagination. Reflect on that. Set before your eyes this grand view of the mercies of God. Dwell on it. Think about it. Consider it. I remember, um, you know, I've had this happen multiple times in my life where somebody will say, boy, that was such a good sermon and it was tied to some kind of thing that they can outwardly do and they think that if you just tell them be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good parent. And you harp on that enough and they take that away and they go run out there and try to do it, that that's going to make it happen. The problem is, is they stop doing that. Why? Because they just try so hard to outwardly conform themselves to the way a Christian ought to be rather than saying, listen, as I reflect on the mercies of God in Christ... And that's one of those things where it's like, husbands, love your wives. If Paul just stopped there, some people would say, that's fine. That's fine. That's all I need. Just tell me what to do. But he says, as Christ loved the church. And that's, what, that's where the transforming power comes. Capture, capture that in your mind. So focus on Christ's love for the church and, and just embrace that. Live in light of that. Dwell upon that. When you see that in all of its wonder, then go live out that in your marriage. See, some people need to stop and say, okay, give me, God, a grand view of your mercies. And some people are like, well, listen, I don't really care about the Romans 1 through 11 thing. Get me to 12 through 16. I've got to apply it. I've got to apply it. And Paul says, listen, if you want to apply it, then you get it driven down into your heart. Get a vision of what God has done for you. And it, it'll change your marriage. Christianity is not about outward conformity. It is about inward transformation that works itself out in your life. This is astonishing to me. Another thing you have to do is not only get a grand view of the mercies of God, you have to come to that place where you see it as the only rational thing to do. It's the only sensible thing to do. When you work that out in your mind, you think about it and you consider it, it like makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. 
to offer yourself up to the one who has given you the priceless gift. Third, just trying to think through how to do this and how to grow in, in, in godliness, we need our minds to be renewed. The world is pressing in on you. The weight is heavy upon you to conform. Anna was telling me the other day, we were talking about a particular vehicle, and she was like, that's just the car you're supposed to drive in Texarkana. You know? That most people just go with the car you're supposed to drive. If you're this, this, and this, that's the car you drive. They just mindlessly go. And, and the world is pressing you into its mold all the time. And he's coming, Paul's coming to you and say, listen, do not be conformed to the world. Now, what is the world? Uh, I, I think, boy, I mean... That is a long discussion because for some of you, the world is just a handful of things that you're not supposed to do. And as long as you quit doing those things, it, it does, it's not that much about, it's not that much about um, what you do as it is what you do not do, kind of. For some of you, that's your deal. You take the Ten Commandments. Boom, 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 boom. And you say, this is what I'm not supposed to do. I will not do those things. And then the reality is, is that if you really delve in deeper, you realize it's not just what you're not supposed to do, but what you're supposed to do. And then you're like, oh no, this is going to really get messy. This changes everything. And so I think it is important to say, what are we not supposed to do? But at the same time say, if we're not supposed to do that, how are we to live? So it's not just that I'm not supposed to steal. And that's what we see in our study this, or today when we were looking at that. We're not supposed to steal, but we're to give. There's a, there's a lot. Listen, you could say, I'm not going to steal from anybody, but I'm going to indulge myself with everything that I want. That's not really embodying what God intended. And so the world system is constantly pressing you into a mold and you see what the world treasures, loves, and lives for, hopes in, finds satisfaction in. And he's saying, do not buy into that, but rather, instead, you need to renew your mind. I think that's, that means there's a level of reflection it, you have to consider, you have to occupy your mind with the truths of Scripture and, and, and dwell upon those things. We are to renew our minds in those things. You need to reflect on the glory of Christ and then say, how would that apply to every situation? How would I live in a way that would, would be pleasing to God? And you know what? I meet a lot of people that are very black and white, you know? They have an answer for everything, right? This is the way, except for if you ask them a few questions and then they're just like, and they would want to run out of the room and say, I just want to live in my black and white world. I just want to live in my black and white world. Learning to walk in wisdom requires you to reflect on the mercies of Christ and what he's done for you and then prayerfully say, how can I apply that in this aspect, in this moment? In this spot of life. And that is what it means to walk in wisdom. It's taking this marvelous truths that God has presented to us, facing a situation, and then trying to say, okay, how do those th- how, how can I live that out? 
that, that takes place as we uh, continually, I think, get clarity uh, by, by dwelling upon what God is about and what he is accomplishing. Um, I remember a number of years ago sitting in a Sunday school class that I was teaching and uh, I was talking about maybe studying the Bible or something like that. And the person was like, I don't have time to do that. You know, I have four kids. I didn't have any kids at the time. I have four kids and uh, we're busy with all these things and da, 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 da. And so I went and like got scared and sat down. No, I didn't. I said, listen, you don't have time not to. You do not have time not to. You, you need to make time to do that. Well, I, you know, in my mind, I didn't say it like that. I just told her that and just kind of moved on. But in my mind, I thought, listen, your priorities are wrong. Her kids were doing excellent in school. They played every sport. And, and there's a long list of things that they would have, you know, accolades in this present age. And I just, in my mind later, I thought, why did I not say, stop? Cut out some of that stuff. It's not going to produce what you think it's going to produce. Discipline yourself. And then discipline your children. Not spanking them is not what I'm talking about. It's just that you set up for them things in your lives where, for instance, maybe you need to make it your ambition to have several nights a week that you read the Bible with your kids. That you read the Bible on your own. That you pray with them. That you sing with them. That you encourage them in the things of the Lord. Discipline yourself. Discipline your time meditate on the truths of the Word of God, and then kind of talk with them a little bit about it. You don't have to run around all the time at this staggering pace. If you do that with them, they will do that with their kids. Just stop for a little bit. Slow down and consider the wonders of Christ and His purposes on our behalf. And then you share that with your children. That might be a way to have some thoughts and some consideration to what it means to walk with the Lord. They may, they may help you renew your mind and, and so that you might walk in a way that would be pleasing to Him. Now, so he says, give yourself to God in light of the mercy that He has shown us. Give yourself to God. And now, I think the emphasis here, in giving yourself to God, one of the ways you do that, one expression of that is serve the church. Verse 3, for by, grace you've been, uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He's saying, avoid being high-minded. Uh, the world, si- I'll tell you what the world says. The world says we should never have low self-esteem. That would be something the world would say. The Bible says there's a greater danger than having a low self-esteem. You know, it says that self-centeredness is our greatest issue. And so we have to stop and say, okay, hold on just a second. Like, we need a clear understanding of who we are. 
It's not saying that we don't think, oh, I can do something or accomplish this or that. I think there is something here where Paul's going to say, you are assessing things. You need to be able to think clearly and, and grasp and, and, and not exaggerate your wisdom and competence and power, but to recognize kind of where you are. We must learn to understand that and to, to grasp that. So we need to humble ourselves and then we need to say, let me get a clear look of who I am and where I'm at. Look what he says, but to think with sober judgment, to consider sobriety. I mean, some people are drunk on their self-importance. They're drunk on their wonderful gifts that the whole world needs to recognize that they have. They are so drunk on that that they can't see clearly. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we need to understand that we need to consider where we are, what God has done for us. And I think this grace, uh, this measure of faith given, I think that is all those who've trusted in Christ, that have come to saving faith in Christ crucified. They, they have an equal standing in Christ, and yet there's a distinction of gifts. So I think one of, what we're talking about here is not that some have this greater faith than others. I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. I think it's this measure of faith is that it's a gift from God, and we have embraced the gospel. We understand that. And then we need to move forward with a clarity about who we are and what we possess. Some people, have you ever met somebody that's like, uh, nobody understands how gifted I am in the church, and so, you know. Now, it's not, I think we have to have a sober view of who we are and have a humble spirit. And then we seek to serve it in, in the body in a way that would be honoring to the Lord. We're not clones. We have distinct gifts. And so as his workmanship, we are to move forward uh, in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. And look what verse 4 says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ and individually members of uh, one of another. So Paul's going to speak of the different functions within the church and the gifts within the church. And I, I think sometimes people think, well, that all goes on on Sunday morning. It doesn't. The body functions in a bunch of different ways. It, 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 through, I mean, really, it can't be done on Sunday morning. It's a whole life thing. If worship is whole life, then... Functioning together as a body is whole life. So Paul's going to lay out for us these ways that different people function within the body. Humbly function within the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says the whole, the whole body, if the whole body was an eye, um, where would the hearing be? And, and he kind of lays out all these things. That, hey, everybody's got different gifts, different abilities, different blessing, uh, ways that they are able to bless and build up the body. Uh, he's saying there's an interdependence here. We, we need one another. We're seeking to grow and, and become uh, what we, we need to be. Um, the, the thing is, is like, and I think there is kind of this, I don't know, sometimes this thought of like, you grow up really dependent, you don't have anything, can't do anything for yourself, then you grow into independence. And some people say, that's it, you stop there. You just become like this perpetual lone ranger. But really, as you take the step up in development, you say, there's an interdependence. I need people, they need me. We all work together in unity. You know, it's kind of like, you got to see it that way. Um, I, I do remember, um, uh, you know, it, it just kind of came back to me, but I remember really loving... Uh, the Lone Ranger as a child, and uh, recently I was dropping my boys off at my parents, 
and they're like playing with things. And I look up and I was like, there's my Lone Ranger action figure, you know, and Ben's holding, I can just see him like ripping it apart. And I was like, and I reached up there and grabbed it and was like, Ben was like, I was playing with that. I'm like, no, you can't play with that. That's mine, you know. And so it kind of like reverted back to childhood. But one of the things like that I did, I did pull it away and kind of set it aside and carry it with me. But one of the things that um, I started to bring it this morning, y'all be, y'all be like, eh, okay. But one of the things that happens there for me is that, um, like when I think about that, it, is that that is not how God designed us to function. That's not how he designed us to live. We're not to live in this independent kind of way where we are always the hero of our story. There's an interdependence that must take place. And, and really, a proud man has a hard time believing this. But, you know, if we were um, left on this planet right now by ourselves you know how long it would be before we were in kind of caveman mode wouldn't take long you know because there's just so many limitations we have by ourselves and so there's something here where i think we have to see that and see the wonderful picture of these parts of one body functioning together for the whole to accomplish what it needs to and for us to all benefit and so um I think that's just important for us to know. And so let's look at that real quick. There's these different ones with different functions, and um, they're individually members of one another. They, they are mutually blessing one another. So it's not something to, be, um, to hold on to. I remember hearing somebody one time say, like, your gifts and your abilities God has given you, um, they're not to be, like, put on, put on a wall, uh, they're not little trophies that you kind of keep for yourself. They're not to just be used for your family. Well, I, show, I give those to my family, uh, and I'm not going to bless others with it. No, it, it's, it's a, God has given us gifts so that we would build up the body of Christ and so that the body would not only stay on mission but be able to function fully in the mission that God has called it to. And so uh, I think that's important for us to see. We are like instruments Uh, in the Redeemer's hands. And each one of us is one of the instruments that are a part of accomplishing the the purpose God has. Have y'all ever um, been to someone's house? Maybe uh, they've passed away, or maybe uh, they've moved out of that house and the situation has changed, but they've lived a long period of time um, maybe baking in this one house, and they have all of these different things there. And you look at the instruments that they've used to do their baking, and you can see the worn kind of things about you. Look at it and go, man, I just, she, she cooked a thousand meals out of that thing. You know, I don't know if y'all have ever seen that. Or maybe like somebody that was like a handyman and you go into the garage and you see their tools after 40 or 50 years. And you see the worn kind of tools that, that are on display there. They have battle scars to prove how many times that tool was used. And you're like, that gives that thing character, you know. And, and I think that's how we ought to, to say, like, in the service of the king who has shown us mercy, we are to give ourselves in total and absolute, like, uh, I, I, just uh, loving service to one another. Maybe that's how you would say that. Um, you should go to the grave spent, not preserved. And that's, that, the, the world says, no, go to the grave preserved. Every part of you. Go to the grave like uh, 
so healthy and, and vibrant. and all, you know, It's like go to the grave with no scars. But God says, no, go to the grave spent. Giving your life in service to others. The goal of life is not to get to a place where there's no strain or struggle or difficulty or pain or exhaustion. That is a lie from hell. That's not how we go. The the Christian is to go down, you could say, spent. Using the gifts that God has given them. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see this unity and distinction. We're equal at the foot of the cross, and yet we have different roles within the body to play and to fulfill. Um, in, in Ephesians 4, 7 through 12, it speaks of those different gifts belonging to one another. As we see here, it, we have 1 Corinthians 12. It's another place you can see this. 1 Peter 4. And there's no comprehensive list. It's a sampling. I'm not even sure that Paul gives us all the different ways He gives us a sample of those things. So there are teaching gifts and leading gifts and serving gifts. Uh, These different gifts are expressed in different ministries at different times in different ways. And so I even think the church sometimes, individual churches or ministries or whatever, uh, are given particular gifts for the time that it needs. Like it needs that at that particular time. And we are to fulfill that gift in the way that would be pleasing to God. So prophecy here, uh, I, I think... Uh, prophecy is probably uh, something that when you're looking at this, um, I think here we're dealing with probably preaching. Uh, it, it's, it has the idea of proclaiming a, a message, and it's, it's checked by the Word of God, but speaking very directly about particular situations and understanding that. I think service here is maybe practical task that would would come to head, like where you would say, okay, this person has the ability to use their hands in, in a variety of ways and, and to bless others. Teaching may be something to like make truths clear so that there are people that say, I, I understand it, but I don't really fully understand it. And they come alongside you and say, okay, I'm going to give you clarity. I, I think, I, you know, sometimes God gifts people with the ability to make things clear that may be a little bit fuzzy. Uh, sometimes that's done in small groups, sometimes in large groups. Uh, exhortation. Uh, has the idea of encouragement. Uh, I, I think that probably like what you would, you probably hear about this a lot now, it's biblical counseling where you're coming alongside someone and you're speaking a, a truth to them. You're saying, okay, this is what's good and bad and right and you're kind of helping somebody apply particular truths to their life. Sometimes that has to do with someone that's just greeting where they're coming alongside and helping somebody move in the direction that they need to go. There's just a lot variety of things uh, they inspire people, encourage people, move people forward. Giving, um, you could say there are some people that God is particularly gifted, both with resources and with um, uh, just the wisdom about how to, to, to dispense those or to do more with those. And those people are, are called within a church to do that. Leadership, uh, there are some people that can, that can kind of gather up people and get things moving. 
Uh, it's just what they are able to do. And so they come alongside and they say, you know, some people could not find their way out of this room, you know. But if something was like went wrong or something needed to be fixed, that person could call the troops together and get everybody filed out of here. There's just like this kind of concept that God has gifted the body with that. And so uh, also you see here mercy. Uh, there are some people that have a desire to help the poor, the addicted, the elderly in a very profound way. And, and so God gives these different gifts to a body and to a people and, and maybe broadly sometimes to a nation. And I mean, there's just different people that have unique gifts that God gives and they are to be used. Like I said, I think, I think it's important to say um, we are to be spent and not preserved. That's kind of something that I think we need to understand. Now, how do you discern your gifts? That's a good question here. How do I live a whole life of worship, serving the church, and, and blessing people with the gifts that God has given? One is uh, the self-examination where I'm soberly judging things. Uh, I'm looking at things and I can see clearly uh, maybe where I lean or what's going on in my heart. Uh, you could say, what kind of ministry am I attracted to? That would be something. What are the kinds of ministries that I'm attracted to? Um, what problems do I notice? I had some people recently come to me, beat me down. No, not really. Uh, no, but they came and said, we think this is an issue in the church. And I was like, what? Good. Then you're the answer to that issue, you know, but it is like, uh, it does. It's funny. Cause I think about Jesus when uh, he calls the disciples in chapter 10 together and he says, y'all pray for the Lord of the harvest to go and do this work. And then he sent, it's like at the end of chapter 9, and then he sends them out in chapter 10. You're like, come on, Jesus, you can make, you know. But it is one of those things where I think that the Spirit of God moving through the people of God sometimes gives you an extra sensitivity to something, and you say, good night, this church needs that. And then you, I would say, that's probably because you need to go and be active in doing that. Uh, another thing to just remind yourself of is experience helps that. Uh, sometimes it's just like you got to do something. And as you do things, you will see over time uh, that you're good at certain things. You help develop a certain area. All of those things that kind of show up in your life. Um, another thing would be helpful is probably to look at the various gifts and say, you know, what are those things that I seem to, to be able to do or have a desire to do? Um, and then, you know, again, there's nothing that helps better than using it. You know, just, just use it. So you get work experience, you could say, but also just, um, uh, just, just keep using them, and, and you'll see that develop. And it may develop over time in different ways and in different opportunities. You may see God do that. So um, I would just say today, like when you're pulling away from this, you're saying, in in light of the mercy of God shown to you. I mean, when you stop and consider the salvation that Paul presented in Romans 1 through 11, offer your life. To the extent that you think, now listen, to the extent that you see the glories of the gospel, to the, the greater your vision of that, the more wonderful salvation is to you, to that same extent, serve God. So if somebody says, well, I just don't, I don't really, I don't have time to serve God. I mean, you know what I say? You know what? It's a vision problem. It, it's, it is, it's not your work. 
It's not, it, it is a vision problem. That, that really is what it is. You are not really seeing Christ as glorious. That's your problem. Your problem is not time. Your problem is not your ability to do it. Your, pro- your problem is not that. Your problem is Christ is not very big in your eyes. That's your problem. It is a worship problem. And so when I see Him for who He is, then I respond in worship and I keep laying myself there before Him and I say, I want to serve Him. The opportunities for you to serve are not a limitation. Well, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anything to do. No, you do. If you wanted to be involved in something, you get involved in it. And it's not so that you can like show yourself to everybody else how great you are. You just start serving people. And it will just happen. And so he says, get a vision of that and you stop whining and get to work. And as you do, then what you'll see is God will use you. You'll be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And you will be spent. And you will die. And you'll one day stand before him and you will hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us see the glories of Christ and his work. And in turn, that we would live in a way that would be fitting for the one who served us in that way. And then, Lord, we pray you would use us as very refined instruments in your hands to impact others, to build up your body, and to reach the world. In Christ's name, amen.